Log Talk Radio. I went down to the crossroads. I fell down on my knees. Mm-hmm. Went out there by the crossroads, y'all. Had a feeling that it brought me to my knees. Just ask the Lord for mercy. Oh, help me if you please. Where are they in the crossroads? I tried to flag a ride. I can hear you just fine, Mama Star. Thank you. All right. Can you hear me? Okay. Absolutely, Mark. We got you. Thank you. All right. Welcome. Thank you. Well, welcome, everybody. You are definitely in for a rare treat tonight on Old Style Conjure Radio. We have a very, very special guest. I'm so excited to hear everything that she has to say. We've got Flora Luck Elmore, the good luck lady from thegoodlucklady.com. Of course, we have Mama Star, oldstyleconjure.com, who is the author of, last time I checked, 10 books? Um, I more think now? it's 
a little more, maybe 12. It's a little bit more. Maybe 12, maybe, okay. And some some Conjure cards and the new Voices of Conjure newspaper and, of course, the Festival in New Orleans. And um, that's super exciting. And we've got Mark, who is absolutely so gifted at prayer, and I'm hoping you will pray us in, my friend. All right, then, darling. Let's get it started. Amen. Heavenly God, we thank you, Holy Father, for allowing us to congregate in your holy name. We petition, Holy Father, to cover us with your fiber wall of protection. We ask you, Spirit of God, that you move through us and guide us, Holy Ghost. We call you to fall on our hands and fall on our minds and our spirits, Holy Father. Amen. 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 Uh, may I have a moment to talk about definite prayers answered? Yes. Sure. Yes. Thank you. My heart was super duper heavy um, the last time we talked. One of the local girls from our neighborhood, who's an absolute doll, she's just a raving beauty, 16 years old, um, went missing with a 47-year-old man. And um, living in a small community, you can imagine how that just devastated everybody. And we've just been walking around in a stupor. And her parents went to, pronounce it how you like, Amarillo, Amarillo, Texas, this morning, to retrieve her, and um, it was uh, definitely um, prayers answered, social media, people making phone calls, people hanging posters, and this little girl's on her way home, and I couldn't be more thrilled. I can't stop crying. I'm so happy. Katie, that's interesting. I was born in Amarillo and raised in Amarillo. Really? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) What an interesting coincidence. Yeah, that is interesting. And of course, as we know, Mama Star and Mark are in Florida. Are in excuse me, Florida are in Texas. Yes. Yeah. So there's some good Texas juju going down today. Yep, and a good old Texas barbecue. I've been to Texas twice this week. So I drove to Austin last Monday, and I drove to Dallas on Saturday. Gee. So. Oh my goodness. I'm exhausted. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. I can imagine. So um, I know we have lots to talk about. Um, I wonder if we want to get started talking about the devastation in the African American churches these last couple of weeks. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I don't even know what to say about that no more. You know, uh, it's horrible. It is really horrible. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that, Katie. You talk about it, and I'll listen. Because I have well, a real strong I, you know, opinion like that. And whenever whenever opinions get too strong, sometimes it's better to keep them to yourself. Um, so in this, I'm going to opt out of discussing it. But y'all go ahead. I'll, I'll pitch in whenever I can. It needs Mama Star, I love you. And I love that you just said that right now, but I know that you can't stay quiet for very long, so I will talk about my feelings, and I know that I'm going to step aside in a second, (laughs) just so we're clear. (laughs) Um, Well, we talked privately with Mama Star's Old South Conjure um, students. We had a private group chat a week ago, and we were talking about, you know, we're all obviously preaching to the choir, um, how important multiculturalism is, how important it is to honor everybody 
And certainly we recognize different colors of skin. We're ridiculous if we try to say that we don't even recognize it. But how important it is to treat each other how we want to be treated and to treat each other fairly, fairly and with love and with compassion. And especially those of us who work conjure, we need to honor where this work comes from. Um, and I live in a very rural community, and we used to have a John Birch Society, and there were cross burnings in our town within the last 20 years. I didn't live here then, um, but there is some history here, as there probably is in all towns. So I made a commitment on our little um, group that Mama Star is teaching that I'm going to, um, I feel like this work should start with kids. A lot of us are too set in our ways to even attempt to try to look at things differently. Um, so I made a commitment to do a cultural awareness unit within our local 4-H group for the kids. And I got permission from our 4-H leader. So I've been looking at curriculum and what I want to do around that. And obviously I want to make it super fun so all the kids want to go. But that piece needs to be included. So that's You know, Katie, um, you could take a look at the Friends Church. Um, they have a really wonderful curriculum for uniting people together. And no matter what your background or your gender, they have a, a beautiful curriculum for young children from starting from age 5 and going up to 15 on how to work and have peaceful communication because that's really where it starts is peaceful communication and the voice that we use outside and calling people names and saying things. And um, I, I was thinking about one of, I can't remember who posted it, and they were talking about gay marriage and he said, well, now now we can no longer say gay marriage. It's marriage. So now we have to move on and we have to have new definitions. And I, I love that because it's true and it's part of nonviolent communication. When you start laying labels on things and you start laying labels on people, then you are immediately separating them from you. And in nonviolent communication, they teach it. And it is, it's a powerful body of work. And we used it in our home with our, our daughter. She's 14 now. And she is a model and example in her own high school of nonviolent communication when people start using name-calling and then they start using gender or sexual preference or whatever to make someone else separate from them. She steps right in and she says, wait a second, why did labels become necessary? Let's get right to the root of that. Why did that label become necessary? Why did you need to break them apart from you? when in fact you guys were playing music together in jazz band this morning. What's the difference? What happened at lunch? And she starts asking heavy questions. And um, you might check with the Friends Church because they do have a beautiful curriculum and they're willing to share it. They have always been very open. Whenever I've done things with them, they're very open to sharing that. Oh, my goodness. That is fantastic. How inspirational that little girl. That's a lot of responsibility for her. Well, my daughter, when she was in the second grade, there was a little boy who was in her class who clearly, um, she came home and she says, Mom, I believe that Tommy's going to grow up to be homosexual. And I said, well, good for Tommy. If that's what he is, what God put him on the earth to do, then okay. <laughs> I didn't make that big a deal about it. And the kids, come to find out, were taking his lunch money and some of the boys were peeing on his food. Uh, out on oh. the playground and sticking it in his mouth because we said that he liked things from that part of their body. And my daughter pushed one of the boys off of the swings and they ended up taking her to a corner and throwing stones at her. Oh. And I had to go up to the school because my 
daughter bit one of the boys. <laughs> and they wow. wanted to expel my second grade daughter for biting someone, but they didn't want oh, to expel any that. of the boys for stoning her. And, um, and pardon my French, but my daughter has never seen me lose my shit, but I sure did that day. <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> I lost yes, it in a Texas big way. I'm just saying. And so um, I, I really did. And so my daughter, um, she that, he ended up being her pal, and they're still really good friends. But um, she's an advocate for people living in their own space, and, and she's really big about the Constitution protecting us to have that ability. And it does start with our kids. As parents, it starts with us because we make that decision to offer that to our children to learn, and we do it by our example. And if it just, it sometimes it just takes one adult because all of my daughter's friends love coming to our house to eat dinner because it isn't a violent conversation at dinner. It's an eye-opening conversation sometimes, and I'm shocked about what I hear come out of their mouths. But I don't jump on them and I don't degrade them right. for having an opinion. And I encourage them to explain why. And um, we don't we don't tease maliciously in our house. There's just little things. And you don't realize how much violent communication you use and how much it is used to have power over people until you really start practicing it. And it changed my, my personal magical practice because the way I would write petitions and the way I would pray, it changed how I approached grace and it changed how I approached my altars and how I, I, would, I would look up at God and I would say, okay, I have a better way. And so let me, let me say it. It's on my heart. Let me say it. It's different. And what I found was that it, it, the grace would just start flowing. And I think you're right. I absolutely think you're right. It starts with our kids, but it also starts with the parents who make a choice to let their, their kids come to your 4-H program. So don't forget to reward those parents who let them come. Thank you. That That's my age group. That's my target age group. I really appreciate that recommendation. I'll definitely look them up. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I like, I like solutions. I'm a really big fan of solutions. Yeah. Mark, you need to weigh in? Um, well, when it comes to the um the shooting in Charleston, I think that it's very tragic. Um, I'll be honest, I really don't want to say so much, especially because how these kind of topics become very polarizing. Um, yeah. you know, especially in regards to race and racism and um those kind of issues and so I'm just I think I'm gonna be I'm just not gonna say anything. <laughs> I think it's tragic. I think it's horrible. And um, I do like the fact that um, the followers of the church, of the uh, AME church, are going to resume their Bible studies, you know, despite everything that has occurred. And mm-hmm. so I think that's, that takes a bit of courage, you know, to be able to continue and push forward, push forward. Well, anytime you have a community anchor like a church or a community center that's been destroyed, anytime you have something like that and it's been done in an act of violence or even if it's been done because of disorganization, that really impacts a greater community and it has a huge ripple effect. 
because one of the pillars of that community is gone, and you can't fill that void. You can rebuild buildings. I was in Oklahoma City when the Murrah building was bombed. I was four blocks away. That took years for that to even find peace. That land is sacred, but it is torn apart. And every one of us that witnessed that violence, there is a void within us. I mean, there's days, and I, I can go for months and not think about that. I can go on for years sometimes, but April 19th, every day, I automatically stop and I'm like, why am I stopping? What's going on here? What am I doing? I look at the clock and then it hits me. I know where I was this day so many years ago. And so that is going to impact that community for years. And every one of those people that that go there to see their friends and to support people and the people that were baptized there and and went to, you know, church school, Sunday school, it's going to impact them because they're not going to be able to go back into that church without thinking about it. So there's a level of post-traumatic stress. They didn't have to be present for that fire to happen, but the community is going to have post-traumatic stress in some way. And it's going to take community leaders out of all of us, even those of us talking on the radio. It's going to take all of us to stand there and say, I'll be here when you cry. Do you need a pen so you can write down what you're thinking? Do you need me to hold your hand six months from now? Not right now, but six months from now, two years from now. We never know when that sadness is going to come back up. And it's deep. It lays a really deep root in people. And it can be a weed. And sometimes it, you can't pull at it because you'll, you'll bleed to death from a broken heart. So it's going to take all of us to reach out and, and anchor energy for that community so they can rebuild. It's, this goes beyond race. This goes beyond a lot of things. This is America needing to face its crap and stand there and say, okay, we have a choice right now. We can either step up, we can anchor our power as a community, we can reach out and we can hold the hand of our neighbor and love them, we can stand there and let them fight for their rights, we can stand there and witness their pain because sometimes witnessing someone's pain is so powerful in the healing process. We can let them rail against us and call us names. We can take it. It's okay. I will let you do that because I love you. And that's where it starts. And that, well, that's just how I feel about that because of just my personal experience. But I know how deeply hurting it is for an act of terrorism to wipe the community out. And when it is your own countrymen doing it to you, it's different. And I don't know how to describe that it's different. It just is because you no longer have trust. And we have to understand this is a community that's being terrorized for hundreds of years, not just a few or just a one-time event. And so it's time to step up and be an anchor for them. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right in... um, That's all I have to say this is kind of hard for me to talk about. Well, sure. I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes because it's heart-wrenching knowing how much love you have in your heart and how much you want to give to a community. And they have condition to be afraid of you. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was very very well put. 
and hopefully many of us can take that advice. There, there seems to be a lot of, oh, I'm not doing that, or oh, not me, or oh, they need to get over it, and it's not everyone, and just that, that's not helpful. It's just not helpful. Just listen. And people need to turn the television off. <laughs> turn the TV off, get off your couch, and go outside and hug somebody. The TV is not helping. It really isn't. In fact, there's actually, in the the psychiatric world, there's a diagnosis. It's called CNN syndrome, where you can't take your eyes off the television because you keep waiting for the next bad thing to happen. Mm-hmm. And you become traumatized by your own television. <laughs> and you have, to, you, know, you have to just turn that off. I don't even watch TV anymore, and I haven't. I don't either. Since my... Since my uh, nephew joined uh, the Army. It's Mm -hmm. been about, I guess, he's up twice, I think, or or it's been at least eight years since I've sat down and watched the news on TV. I don't watch it at all, period. I I don't watch television, but I read newspapers because I have a lot of friends who are journalists, (laughs) true journalists, not sensationalists. Yeah. I'll glance at our local news on the internet, but as far as to just to see what's going on in our area, but other than that, I don't I don't uh do the news or the TV. Yeah, that's the only time I watch is if I hear that we're getting ready to have a tornado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's Lord. good information to I'll you know, I, I will say this much. Uh, I think that teaching our children should start at home. And if they're taught to see people in different colors, in different varieties, in different ways, then that's what they're going to put out into the world. Yeah. So I really think that we as parents, need to really watch what we say and how we say it around our children. Um, I I just think that it it should begin in our homes and um, I personally will never believe that that kid did not learn his hatred in his home. I will never believe anything any different as long as I'm alive. And I think that if we don't start reaching out and even if it is church and showing our support, then nothing is going to ever change. And calmly, that's about all I can say about it uh, because I'm furious about it, and I'm still furious about it. And it's probably going to be a good while before I can even talk about it civilly uh, without holding myself in restraint. I just feel like as parents, we should teach our children uh, better, and it has to start at an early age. Um, Uh I will say this, I do believe 
that that Confederate flag should be destroyed. It should be destroyed because of what it represents, and it should be against the law to fly. And I mean that. Well, that's happening. I mean that. My mother hated that flag. And it wasn't so much the flag. It's not about the soldiers that served in that war that honored their country. So it, it has nothing to do with them because folks had turned that flag into something ugly. Mm-hmm. You see? It's no longer honoring those men that fought for their country for what they thought was right. It, it's n- not about them anymore. It's become a symbolism of hate. Yep. And so it doesn't need to be able to be flown, as far as I'm concerned, because it's not being flown in honor of anybody. It's being flown uh, to put out there a statement. And I stand very firm on that. Very fun. You know, Mama Star, when you mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, I had a real problem with that. You know, I studied journalism. Um, that's where I got my bachelor's in. And the Constitution and our First Amendment rights are very, very important. Um, mm-hmm. So I sat with that. I sat with that belief for a long time. And so when I owned a uh, metaphysical bookstore, someone came and hung a noose at my store. Well, that's mm-hmm. a hate crime. How is, is that different from flying a Confederate flag? That's a hate crime. It's not any different. It's intimidation. It's, any, it's intimidation. It's any, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I'm going to tell you, when you have children who, and I'll say not white, and they see that flag and they're terrified to even go down that street near where that flag is flying, what does that tell you? They're not thinking they about the servicemen. They're not thinking about the servicemen or the lives that were lost. They're thinking about the holy terror that that flag now represents. You see, the meaning of what that flag meant is no longer, it doesn't mean that anymore. Not to people of color. Not to Hispanics. Not to black Americans. Not to anybody who is not white. That represents terror. Even my yeah. own grandchildren are terrified of that flag. I um I just wonder um, it's it's not because of it's not because of what we've taught them. We've never talked about the flag, really. Mm-hmm. It's what they've seen. We've never discussed that flag one way or another in this family at all. But it's what they've seen. And so the flag has lost its true meaning. You see, it doesn't represent what it was supposed to represent. As far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Now it represents destruction. That's all I see it as. Right. What were you going to say, Mark? 
I was just going to say that, um, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, when I've seen, you know, when I've run into that flag, I don't even know where to start. When I've run into that flag, when I've seen it, it is, it's, um, makes me want to shit in my pants. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what I wanted to say. Um, I, I can understand why. I mean, I know for some people, they, for them, it represents one thing, but, you know, for me, it represents something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, it, for me, it represents a, a part of history that I don't want to see happen again. And so that's why, me personally, I don't feel um, very comfortable with, you know, if uh, to even be around people that would even wear that flag on their clothes or wear it on their cap because you, you just never know. You just you you just never know. That that's I mean that's just how I look at it. I, <laughs> well, Other than a we really small community that um the headquarters of the KKK in Missouri is about an hour and a half from where we live. The cave that they like they have their big summer rallies and things like that. And when we moved here we had no idea and I'll I'll admit to my ignorance and innocence of this. We lived in Arkansas for a while, um, and I couldn't get over how I was addressed while I was there. And it was I thought it was in a positive way until my husband pointed out that it was a submissive way. And I thought, what the heck is going on? Because my family didn't act like that. My I will say my my parents um, were not open minded, and my grandmother is one of the worst kind of racists that you could ever have. But when you're a kid, you don't realize what's being said is bad mm-hmm. until you grow mm-hmm. up and you get plucked out of it. And then when you plucked out of it and you realize, whoa, what the heck? <laughs> and mm-hmm. you um, you grow up. There's a maturity that gets slapped in your face. It's like traveling out of the country and you find out not everyone loves America. Hello. So it's one of those situations. And so here we live in Arkansas and I find out what's going on here. Then we moved here, and we still had a sign-up in the town that I lived that said, do not let the sun hit your back. I didn't know what that meant. And I told my husband, I was, what the heck, honey? Why wouldn't you want the sun to hit your back here? Because this is a resort town. And he looked at me like, have you lost your flipping mind? And I was like, no, really, what's up with that? And he had to explain it to me. Because I lived a life that was very sheltered from that, and I lived a life that was very privileged in a lot of ways, and my family didn't insert me into a lot of conflict because I had they had another agenda for me. And um, so I got an eye-opening experience when we first moved here, and so did my daughter because her comment to me after living in San Antonio right next to an Air Force base where it was like a giant bowl of international soup, there was everybody there. And I've always had everybody around me. My family, we just, we invited everyone around. But behind closed doors, my family would say whatever they wanted to say and make racist jokes and different things like that. And it didn't occur to me that was wrong, like I said. Anyway, we get here and my daughter comes home the first day of school and she goes, Mom, everybody looks like me here except for the Indian kids, which we live in Native American country. 
And I said, really? And um, I said, okay. And I got to thinking about it. And she had never been in a classroom where it was all white children. And so she was really uncomfortable and really in shock (laughs) by all of it. And it took us a while to figure out what was going on. And a lot of people asked me, why the heck do you live there? Why do you live in this place that has a lot of hate? Well, because at some point you have to bring balance to a situation and you have to do it through your example. And that's why we've stayed. And plus we also have older relatives here that are getting up in years that need help. And I believe in taking care of family. And so my daughter is an example of that change and my husband is an example of that change and so am I. I am an example to all of those little white ladies that go and have tea on the weekend uh, and sit around and talk crap, I can tell them that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Can we change the topic? And let me tell you why it makes me feel uncomfortable. And then they may make their excuses, but I'll look at them and say, "There's this, the time for excuses is over. There's no justification in this. I can't participate. I have to leave. And Days later, they come back and they want to have a dialogue about it. And so there's that that moment where I can either step up and t- step into that type of ministry work where we try to heal stuff that they went through just like I did as a kid where it was commonplace and educate them. Sometimes they're so stubborn they're not going to change. And then sometimes they're willing to open their mind. Since we've moved here... We now have a head librarian who's black. That would never have happened. Um, we have a councilman who is biracial, and that would have never happened. We have business owners moving into this area. And I'm not saying it's just because of my family. We were a wave of people that moved to this area. And we kind of stick together, but we didn't find each other until we was we started running into each other and having conversations at the movies and different things about what's wrong here. We didn't come in thinking, we're going to change it overnight. We're going to stomp down the parade corridor during all the town parades because we have a million of them in a small town. There isn't a lot that goes on except the big parade. And we don't do that. Instead, we wait until those intimate moments where people are being vulnerable. And when they're being vulnerable in their conversation we get an opportunity to step up and be changed. And we decided, my husband and I, we made a conscious choice to stay here, not only for our family, but also we knew how hard it was going to be. And we have been discriminated against. We have had the cops come and break down the doors of our business. We have been labeled as outsiders. We've not been served in a restaurant. We have been... um, I had my library card denied. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things, little piddle crap. People won't turn on your electricity because you're one of those black lovers. You name it, it's happened. But at the same time, I come from that space of immediate forgiveness and setting that example of immediate forgiveness and hopes that I will change them. And we have electricity and we have a thriving business that people respect now. And People will come in and order T-shirts. They want a T-shirt that has a Confederate flag on it, and my husband will say, I'm sorry, but you can't shop here any longer. And they ask why, and he tells them why, and he gets an opportunity to educate because a lot of those people have no flipping idea what it really means. They just think it's cool. It stands for being you know, under the Mason-Dixon line. My dad always had it. 
And then there's the people that do know what it means. And usually they will come and break a window in our shop. But, or they'll spit on us or whatever. We just walk past it. Uh, we don't ignore it. We acknowledge what they've done, but we have immediate forgiveness. And that t- it's a test. I'll tell you it's an absolute test of your will when you decide to make that choice and that practice. Because it does go back to your kids. What am I teaching my daughter? I am teaching her safety. I'm teaching her to be cautious. And I'll tell her, you see a-holes like that, you stay away from them. Um, they're, they are making a conscious choice to be an idiot. They're making a conscious choice to be violent. And they're choosing violence over the opportunity to heal. And any time like that, that's infection and disease in society. And we have to try extra hard. Sometimes it's going to take something major to heal that. I feel like I'm preaching. I'm sorry, y'all. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. Cause that's what this is about. My, yeah, some of my sentiments exactly. Only I don't say it so sweetly. I can tell you that. I, I'm not so controlled <laughs> in my speech. <laughs> but you said it wonderful, Flora. You're wonderful. But you know when you said that your daughter was the only uh only white child in class and it kinda threw her off, you know I kinda know that feeling because I uh went somewhere and and you know, when I was young many years ago, you know, uh there was segregation but uh I hadn't seen it in so many years. And then a while back, I don't want to give away exactly what I'm talking about, but a while back um, we went somewhere and there was absolutely no people of color in there, in the whole town. And I was like, sweet baby Jesus. And my daughter is mixed. And so she was like, oh, my God, Mama. I was like, well... I'm glad I didn't bring my grandchildren, you know. Uh-huh. Um, she looks like she's white. She's blonde-headed, blue-eyed, but she's not. She is mixed, you know. But that threw me back, and I was like, sweet baby Jesus, how can there only be white people here? I felt like it, <laughs> I felt like I was in an alien place somewhere, you know. Uh, but my it daughter is. was it's like... unnerving. It's like step for yeah. or something. <laughs> My daughter was terrified. She was literally terrified. And she was like, oh, my God, Mama. I said, well, don't worry. We're going home soon and everything's going to be okay. But that really threw me off kilter. Because, yes, when I was, when you know, way back when, yes, you know, but not today. But I can honestly say that I know for sure now there are places where there are only strictly white people in. That bothers me. We've been here almost eight years, and it took three. There were 11 families that moved in at the same time that we did, and it was during all that housing crisis, especially in California, and all of those folks were moving here. And you're having... um, You've got a blended family, you know, folks that have married from previous marriages and all kinds of stuff coming and resettling to Oklahoma because it's cheap to live here. Mm-hmm. It is probably one of the most libertarian states that you can live in, even though the map that media gives you would say that it's not, but it really is. 
your neighbors leave you alone. But there are those exceptions. And the town we live yeah. in is a resort town, and it's full of money. It's full of southern, uh, it's full of Tennessee money, Nashville, Tennessee money. And it's, um, I mean, literally, I can sit in a restaurant and people will talk about Reba McIntyre or someone being here in town. Roy, um, Roy Clark lives here partial, you know, part of the year. Different people live here that have a celebrity status. And then you bring up someone who's black and everybody brings up Charlie Pride. <laughs> that blew my mind. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, are you serious? Okay. No one here had heard of Al Sharpton. What? Yeah. I am not kidding you. I mean, there's people our age that were in their 40s, and we were all sitting in a little ice cream shop that we have, and somebody was talking about, and our group was talking about Al Sharpton, and this older woman was listening to us, and she looked over at me, and she says, who is the Sharpton character that you're talking about? Is he a preacher? <laughs> I said, yes, as a matter of fact, he is. And I explained who he is, and she says, oh, I don't do anything about those kind of folk. And right oh, yeah. there was a perfect example of unspoken racism, well, spoken racism, but this this kind of, I call it whitewashing that this community yeah. had. And we had to really work through that uh, because it's so disgusting. Um, but, you know, the only thing really keeping us here is that we open the business and we have family. In the summertime, it's completely different because it's a resort town. And so... There's an exception. It's like this weird kind of Las Vegas of of fishermen. If you want to be a fisherman, this is the place to come because we have a huge lake here. And so they look past a lot of things. But it's it's just weird. And it has been a learning curve, a huge learning curve. And it, it really made me face what I was raised in. It made me look at how my family acted and it made me disassociate with a lot of them because I didn't want my daughter to hear that language and I didn't want her to participate in it because we had made that choice of nonviolent communication in our house. So in a situation like that where you come up against someone who chooses to spit at you and you tell your daughter, um, stay away from people like that, how does immediate forgiveness work in that situation? Well, the immediate forgiveness is I look him right in the face and I say, I forgive you. You mm-hmm. put out an act of aggression on me and I see the hate in your face. And I forgive you. I forgive you because I, I can't change who you are. And I'm not saying what you did was okay. I'm just acknowledging he immediately saw that I witnessed what he did. My husband saw it. My husband wanted to punch him in the face. My husband's all about the, sometimes you just need to open up a can of whoop-ass. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we really need to be careful around here because someone will burn our house down. And so I'm really clear about it. I look at them and I and I say it out loud, I forgive you. And those are the most powerful words sometimes because they look at you like they don't know. They're waiting for you to talk back. They're waiting mm-hmm. for you to engage violently, and when you don't and you act in a way that they're not expecting, it really deflates the situation quickly. I've only had a couple of times where it inflated it, but then when I look at my daughter and say, please try to avoid people like that because they're, mm-hmm. all they're going to do is really give you grief. 
So my husband on the other hand will say, those are damn idiots, stay away from them. (laughs) And I'll Mm -hmm. look at him and I'll say, that is not nonviolent communication. He'll look at me and he'll say, please stop with the hippie. We've got to get out of here (laughs) and go do something else. (laughs) But I've also seen him sit down with my daughter and talk it out. And he does talk things out in a very nonviolent way. And he'll ask her to pick different words. Or what words do you think I should use? Yeah, and he, she really gives it to him straight up about how he's using his language. That's fantastic. That's really so powerful. We're all in learning. We're all in a learning phase right now, and as a country, we're we ha- we're learning new paradigms. We're learning a new way to live, and it hurts. We are we are hurting and we're growing and we're changing and that friction is requiring us to expand. We're having to expand our, our perception of what is okay, expand our perception of what we believe in, and expand who we are as a people. And we have an opportunity here, a fantastic opportunity to step up. I wish we would all take it. Some of us will. Uh, other people will need will need time. They'll need to know that it's safe. They'll need to watch somebody else test the waters before they get mouthy themselves. But there's there's just no avoiding it. Yeah. So speaking of learning, I am fascinated with what you've chosen to do with your life. So for over 20 years, you've, it sounds like you've immersed yourself in the company of multicultural healers really across the Americas and then sharing that information with your clients. Yes. I'd like to hear about some of that. Um, well, I it started when I was a, a kid, and I had this, knack for asking people questions and I'm not afraid uh-huh. of anyone and I would talk to a wall if it would talk back I'm pretty sure <laughs> if it has some information up in here <laughs> I know I don't know if that's because of the dirt in Texas got down into my skin because I have yet to meet anyone in Texas that isn't willing to talk so mm-hmm. but um I I spent a lot of time I I, we lived in Oklahoma City had opportunities to study with some Greek Orthodox monks who used icons to do healing work with people and that was really my first I I felt like it was a giant car crash in ecstatic magic because watching them in their meditative state and watching them gaze at icons and the amount of energy that would just roll off of them and they're sitting completely still blew my mind and here I'm 18 years old and I'm in an internship in college and I'm watching this and I'm like whoa, where is this coming from? I want to know how they do that. Because my grandmother raised me to believe that if you meet someone and they have a light inside of them that shines so brightly that you recognize it, it's because you also have that light within you. And you're going to have to foster and handle it. And so every time I find someone, I really want to get to know them. And that's how that started. And so I sat down with one of the monks and really asked him a lot of questions about what he did in Russia 
and how that there really wasn't a good medical system in parts of Russia, and so it was really left up to the local church leaders to do the healing work. And there was a lot of egg cleanses. There's egg cleanses all over the world. Anyway, he had a different method of doing it. And then from there I met travelers who uh, practiced sin eating, and then I met uh, Cunadetta in Mexico through the um, San Antonio Community College. She was teaching nursing, and I was a music therapist at the time, and so I was teaching music therapy, um, continuing ed to the nursing students, and she came up to me and she said, you know, a lot of what you do energetically is similar to something that I do as a Cunadetta. And so we started a conversation and a dialogue, and so I ended up, I think, five years off and on with her, um, learning how she did fertility magic and how she did healing work with people. And the University of New Mexico has got a really great um, um course that you can take that really is a good introductory class in it. And um, so I learned a lot about working with saints, but I also learned a lot about connecting with people to bring out their own healing process and mapping that for them. Um and then I just kind of back, I got into a habit of asking people. I went through the uh, Asantri initiation all the way up to my warriors. And then the Padrino that was working with me and the Madrinas both said, we don't think you need to go any further. We, you know, we've done all of these readings. We've done this work. I think you should stop there. And I said, great. And um, they explained so much of the process and so much of the energy work that goes into it and so much of the energy work that goes into the major initiations when people make their saint, they they were open enough and they knew that they could trust me to have that conversation because I didn't go out and publicize it. I didn't publish it in a big book and say, here are the big secrets of Fonteria or anything like that. And so um, I worked with, and what was weird was when I moved to Oklahoma, I met a man who was a rune healer because we have rune stones in Oklahoma. And some people say they're fake, there's just no way, and then there are Native Americans who swear up and down that there were blue-eyed, white-haired people here when they were forced to migrate. And a lot of the Caddo Indians talked about these people, and they had come up the Arkansas River. And Arkansas River kind of goes through part of Oklahoma all the way to a port of call, actually, in Catoosa. And all along that port of call, are stones, and they're massive stones that have runes carved into them, deep runes carved into them. And so the gentleman I met, he had done a lot of rune healing, and I spent time just talking to him and picking his brain about how he did it. And um, we, we decided to move here to the lake. I was out walking around the lake, and I ended up finding two rune stones that had come out of the lake. And they're small. They're, you can put them in your hand. It was really, it was con- it's confirming for me. But I make deliberate trips out to visit with um, different people. Like um, there's a woman that's in Kansas in a nursing home, and she uh, she was on the Russian side of the Berlin Wall, basically. And I would go over and talk to her. She's in the Eastern Bloc, and I talked to her about it. And she was a palm reader, and she did palm healing for people. And so I I always trade. I always trade energy work with them, or I trade a story or something so that there's an exchange in that. And I began talking with them and really learning from them. But that's my background. I really, I got interested in magical technology. Like why do people feel that ecstatic state or why does someone spontaneously heal? 
It's not because someone blew tobacco smoke in their heart space. What was going on in the energy of that tobacco smoke? What was going on in the intent of that medicine man's mind? Um, And really pulling it apart and studying it. Fascinating. Monastar, Mark, do you guys have anything to add here? Um, well, I do have a question for uh, this Laura, ma'am. Sure. Um, could you um, talk to us a little bit about um, your work, like maybe some of your uh, specialties, the things that you um, do? Um, I'm, from my understanding, I, I believe you work uh, with the Virgin Mary, so I think it would be interesting for, you know, people listening to maybe hear about that and, um, you know, your connection with Mother Mary and, I mean, if you like. Sure. Um, let's see, I, I believe it was 1987. I was I was a convert to the Catholic Church, and um, I had a calling on my heart to convert, and I intended to be a nun all the way up to my freshman year in college. I was planning on becoming a Franciscan nun, and then I kind of switched to the Benedictines because they seemed a little more um, edgy. <laughs> and for a teenager, edgy is good. <laughs> but um, And then I met my husband, and I, I met the man that was going to be my husband, and that changed that. Um, and I, was, I wasn't a sweet girl. I was not the typical, you're going to be a nun. No, I was a hussy. If I could get around, I got around. And so I did not fit the typical wannabe men kind of girl. But there was a deep contemplative side to me. And when I was in my catechism, I had the wonderful opportunity of working with a man named Father Michael. And he was an Episcopalian priest as well as a Catholic priest. We had a priest shortage going on at the time. And so some of the, the priests were jumping back and forth helping supplement and help congregations. And he was one of those, but he was a Marian priest. And in my catechism, he really, in my study with him, he really opened my eyes to the Immaculate Conce- Conception of Mary. A lot of people think Immaculate Conception and they're thinking that they're talking about when the Holy Spirit comes to Mary, well, the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, God would love for you to have his son, and that's the Immaculate Conception. That isn't true. It's the moment when Mary, when Mary's parents were so deeply in love, looked at one another and conceived her. And the purity of their love had an immediate effect on her conception, and she was completely grace-filled, which meant that the moment of her conception, she was as pure as Adam and Eve before the fall. And she was able to hear and sense everything that God connected to her. And it was such a powerful lesson for me because he said to me, imagine being your age right now, that I was 15 at the time. Imagine being 15 and her and knowing already what your destiny is. Imagine knowing everything there is to ever know because you're that plugged into God. And that was mind-blowing. When you're 15, it doesn't take much, but that really blew my mind that... There could be a moment where two people could love each other so much and their love could be so pure that they they could create, they could co-create such a beautiful person 
that they would be directly plugged into God. I thought, there's a lesson in that, and I really want to learn it. And I, I had kept my dedication to Mary very much to myself and very private for a long time. And then life happens, and you go on. And I'd always kept a devotion to Mary, and I said my rosary off and on. And I was like a lot of people that practiced magic or any type of conjure work. I traveled, and I went through Wiccan priestess training and witchcraft training and ceremonial magic. In fact, I'm a very good ceremonial magician. But it was just this process. And then this year marked my 28th coming back to my baptism, marking my baptism, and I felt on my heart, you know, I should do something to mark that. And so on my birthday, I participated in something called the Marian Consecration, where you make an agreement um, within yourself, every good work, everything that you do, you give over to this immaculately conceived mother of God and say, take it and do with it whatever you want to do. Give it to whoever needs it. I I may need it right now, but that's up to you to decide. And a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, you basically gave away your free will. And at some level, yes, but no, at the same time, because it opened my psychic center up in a way I can't describe. Mm-hmm. So when I go in to do work for a client now, I'll go and I'll say my prayers and then I oh, I have a very open heart to this and I, there's a level of compassion that overcomes you whenever you make this commitment to her. And I say, you know, this client's come to me with an extremely heavy heart. This is what's going on in their lives. But I know that I may be coming with a misunderstanding or not completely knowing the whole situation and so if it is in their highest and best good, will you intervene and intercess on their behalf? And if it's not, then take all this good work that I've done on their behalf and use it for someone who really needs it. What my clients are finding is that they're having these big aha moments. And they'll call me back and they'll say, you know what? I'd like to change that working that you asked me, that I told you that I wanted done. <laughs> I think I was being greedy or I think I was really not paying attention to the whole relationship or they have an awareness come over them that really opens them up to being open to change because a lot of times people want magic to happen. They want conjure work to happen because they want to make something happen. They want a fix and they don't want the personal responsibility that comes with the fix. Um and I got a lot of that whenever I was doing luck work full time, which I do do. I still do luck work for people because luck is an interesting, magical system all on its own, because it is part of our aura and it's part of our ancestral connection to our aura. And um, when your luck is funky or it's messed up, it's usually because there needs to be an ancestral healing that goes on. Um, And I work with a lot of professional gamblers, like big tournament uh, poker players and people who they have, um, they do really well playing betting trisectas and horse racing. And I have a lot of back rack players. But it starts with a lot of healing work with them because the only reason that they usually come to luck workers is because their luck has gone bad or it's soured. Or someone has stolen their luck. They'll sit at a table and someone has reached over and taken their luck by touching them or looking at them um, 
throwing some uh, melocha at them or uh, evil eye or uh, shade at them, and it steals their luck. And what's really going on is that they've lost their confidence in some way. But I do think that there are chillers that work in casinos and things. So I do work with people on that still as well. But um, my Marian work, I ended up writing out um, a set of rosary prayers that are as close to the original prayers that were offered to the church and then they manipulated for political reasons over the years, I tried to go back to the most basic things I could find and what the intent was of that rosary. And when Mary gave the rosary to all these different saints, Simon of Stock and and different people, uh, Benedict, when she appeared and she said, this is how you say this. These are the prayers I want you to say. There was a reason for it. When she went to the kids in Fandema, I really studied the visitations that she's given people, and they're so similar. Um, and she's what she's saying is she wants people to come back to a state of grace. There isn't you have to say the rosary, or the, the world's going to end. She's asking humanity to come back to a state of grace, to plug themselves back into God, and wake up and pay attention. That's what the rosy, rosary is really about. It's about what we're given as our gifts. It's about uh, what our duties are as disciples and, and people who are walking with Christ. It's about human suffering because there are the sorrowful mysteries and it is about the human suffering that we witness. And it's, that part is a lesson in how to witness it and how to forgive and then how to hold space so that other people can get there. And then... Uh, John Paul II added the Luminous Mysteries, which are a complete set of guidelines for people on how they're supposed to magnify their abilities. Um, it's the way I interpret it anyway. And so I have a deep devotion. I have a Mary altar um, that I leave petitions on for my clients. Um, and I wear my brown scapular all the way back from when I was um, baptized. So I didn't wear it for a long time because I didn't think I was worthy to wear it because I was being a total turd head. But um, I went back to to wearing it after that Marian consecration and I intend to go through another Marian consecration because it's like a lot of things you have to practice and you have to listen and, you know, you deviate from the path you're on every once in a while, but you can come back to it. There's no rule that says once you stop, you you can never come back. Wow, thank you so much. That that was Does that beautiful. help you? <laughs> that was beautiful. No, it does. It does. It, that was very beautiful. I, I feel like I learned um I learned a little bit more about you, um, as a person because you know, I was um raised Catholic, born and raised Catholic and um I don't know, I've always felt drawn to Mother Mary, like I've always felt, you know, like the mother of God is just, you know, next to me. <laughs> and, um, <Sure. coughs> excuse me. And so, you know, when I've had, um, you know, issues come up in my family or, um, you know, things come up, you know, well, just things, you know, come up in life. And I found that when I, you know, I always say my prayers to, to, to the Virgin Mary anyway. But just when I asked her to lend a helping hand, I found that, you know, doors doors have opened, you know, that I thought wouldn't open. 
and I do believe that she takes care of her own, or she will take care of uh, take care of her children if, if, as long as you have faith and, and you try and you push forward. She is, I think she's a pure representation of grace on earth. And when you when you sit down and you do connect with her and you do open yourself up to her, her job is to grab you by the hand and say, I would like for you to meet my son. In case you haven't talked to him in a while, he's totally willing. And he is thirsty. He is so thirsty right now. And the only thing that quenches his thirst is for you to console him and console him by telling him what's on your heart. Tell him. It was that easy. Her job is Flora, open up the dialogue between you and Jesus. Flora, do you find that the sacred heart of Mary, that that spirit within her is different than just speaking with Mother Mary? Well, there's, I mean, there's definite, um, there's information out there that church leaders have established and said, you know, you you should do this, and if you do that, then you and you, you know, say the sorrowful mysteries, four hundred times you'll get to heaven faster. Well, I just, I just don't believe that a man can make that kind of decision for us. That's up to God. No, no, no. But you but, know, I work with her a lot. Uh, where mm-hmm. families are concerned. I feel whenever I'm, it, I mostly work with the sacred heart of man. And to me, that has a different kind of feel uh, than just praying to the Holy Mother. Uh, I think that you found there that? are different aspects. I think everybody gets called to one of the aspects that appeals to them most. Like, I had an immediate reaction to Immaculate Heart Mary. I just, um, I, I I can't tell you, I was drawn in immediately. And I happened to pick a day to start my concentration work, which was one of the lower feast days of her. And I was like, okay, wow, here are those dinks that come up about it. And um, I know a woman who was called, just deeply called to work with Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And she does some dynamic magical work when she does that prayer work. And she uses those set of prayers for Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And I think that Mary comes to us in a way that we're most open to and we're willing to cleave to almost, almost just reach up and say, okay, you're my mom. I need help. There is holy crap going down <laughs> in my life. Right. And I'm I'm glad you're listening because here it is. We're gonna we're gonna be drawn to the one that resonates and has the same vibration that we're resonating with. And she's gonna lift us up in every situation. And see you just hit on it because to me the sacred heart of Mary has a heavier hand than just the Holy Mother. Um, like when I've worked with the Holy Mother, uh, it's a softness there, a sweetness. But at times mm-hmm. when I've had to petition the Sacred Heart, uh, dealing with something to do with my children or a client's child or something, it seems to be a heavier hand. You know what I mean? Well, 
Well, sure, because you're working with an aspect of Mary that has witnessed her son being tortured. And if you can imagine any mom who has seen anyone say a bad thing to their kid, we turn into some kind of fierce fighting badger women. I don't know. Just, you know, telling our kid don't do that. We suddenly look at that person like, who are you to be talking to my kid that way? Yes, and that's the feel I get with her. And that's my kind Uh of, that's my kind of girl. You know, because I am kind of heavy-handed, you know. And right. uh, it, when I do a work, I mean business. But I was just wondering if I was the only one that felt it or if everybody felt that, you know, oh, I'm working no. with the sacred heart. No. I think that, um, well, I get, I'll start sometimes and I'll work with the Seven Sorrows of Mary and I'll do a Seven Sorrows ritual that I do for people mm-hmm. to to transition those Seven Sorrows into Seven Graces. And yeah. I literally have a poppet that is in a heart shape and I ask the clients for a personal concern of theirs and mm-hmm. write a petition to Mary in there. But I have very large, gorgeous hat pins that are stuck in there and they have a tag on them, like a little piece of paper with each of the seven things that are really uh, weighing on my client that is bringing so much sorrow. And I don't do this ritual lightly for them. These are people that, I mean, they have been run through the ringer and they are not getting justice. They are being ignored or they're in a desperate situation of violence. Those are the kinds of circumstances I would select that work for. And I place that condition in there and I let it sit and I set it on that the altar that I have to her and I pray over it. And then for seven days I release, I pull out one pen. Because you know when you're pulling out pens out of a poppet, you're actually letting energy off. And I wouldn't dare take all seven out at the same time. I would put my poor client in energy constriction and probably I might make them have a heart attack. That'd be bad. Instead, I sit down and I'm like, you know, Mary, let's relieve this situation, intercede, go in there and let them see it in a different way, open their heart to a different change instead of the same old pattern of going back to the guy who hits them or putting up with their boss's bullshit. Just take the pin out. And it it just deflates that heart eventually. And then I burn the puppets. I let it go in holy fire. And so... I work that magic in that way, and I do work with her in, in instances where it is deeply heavy and there is sorrowful crap going on because it leaves a mark on people, and we want that healed. And right. that's I always ask, how are we going to heal this? That's my first question, how are we going to heal this? And then I wrap a ton of protection around that person because sometimes that healing it's going to last months from after I've done working with them. And that happens to me a lot. I have a lot of clients who will come back months after and say, you know, at first I didn't think what you did for me worked and I was having some regret. But, she, you know, it's been six months now and my life is completely different than it was when I first started working with you and I give you credit for helping me. And to me that's wonderful because yeah. they've come back enough to say it. But... A lot of people need to understand that magic is an instant. It's not like instant coffee. It takes time to work because it's in the spirit world, and spirit works on different time than we do. And there's so many folks that don't understand that. They want instant gratification, and there's not any. You know, we have no control over what God, the spirit, uh, uh, 
do. All we can do is do the work, say the prayers and petitions, give the offering, and then it's really out of our hands. I mean, because we we have no control over it. And a lot of folks don't understand that. Right. Especially those really deep type A personalities that want a Mm -hmm. timeline. (laughs) You're like, there is no such thing as that. (laughs) And, you know, I'll say, and I've got to where I say it quite often, I'm not God. You know, I can only do so much, and I've even put it on my website. Um, I can do all I know how to do, and then it's their it's their job to finish it all. And we as workers have no we have no control over that whatsoever. Right, and it's difficult whenever we're doing work for clients who like to hire five or six people at the same time. I thinking that, that the more people working on them, the better off yeah. it's going to be, and they'll flat out lie. Well, it's not always better, right? Right. Uh, I'll ask people, I'll say, can you please refrain for three months from hiring anybody else to do this work and let's just give it three months to work itself out? If they say no, then I'll say, I don't think I'm the worker for you. Right. Not going to be able to do that. Yeah. It's hard sometimes because you're like, I really can't help you. (laughs) Right. But you can only help them if they will let you help them. You know? Right. I guess everyone Can I ask you guys? Sorry. I just have sort of a housekeeping question. Can I ask you guys to peek into the um, chat room? My chat function isn't working, and I don't know if anybody's um, got questions in there. Uh, We just, there's only uh, me and um, King is in the chat room. And I guess uh, the chat room's been empty. I don't know if it's acting up or what, but that's it. Uh-oh. That's all that's in there. Yeah. Okay, so there are no, no hands with questions yet? Well, someone jumped in a while ago and asked uh, if we were going to, if if, uh, if Laura was going to do a reading, but y'all were talking, I didn't want to interrupt, and she jumped out, so... Ah, uh, well, there could be still listening. Mm, maybe so. So if you're listening you and you, you ask for the chat. Yeah, it's slow in here tonight. I don't know why even the phone lines are slow. Well, well you know... The, the Internet's been really slow here, and we have a lot of storms. So I know there's been a lot of storms across the country today. So there could be people oh, yeah. dealing with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's storming here. It was storming when I came out to the prayer house. We got more We had rain. a storm in California. Did y'all get some rain? Oh, we did. We got some thunder and some lightning and some rain at like 4 this morning. It was so beautiful. Oh, and it lasted a while. It was big blessing. Y'all needed rain. We did. Hey, Flora. Yeah. Where did you Where did you learn to do that poppet work? That specific the seven sorrows to the seven. I got it in a vision. Honestly, I got it right after my Marian consecration vision work, and it's worked out great. It sounds so powerful. 
I do. I do a lot of work that's spirit-led. So, and part of it, I mean, I draw on all of that experience that I've had with other people and people I've studied with. And mm-hmm. if it makes logical sense, and I and I think to myself, okay, the technology in this magic of sound, I'm not just shooting in the dark, which right. doesn't work. You really think it out. And you go, okay, this is how this pattern of technology and this magic is going to work out. And you can kind of predict an outcome, um, like how the magic is going to curve and affect the client because you know, because you've been doing the work, but... I will, and I, in fact, I'm doing it tonight. I'm going in to do vision work because I did a major change on my website. I sold the Good Luck Lady. So I sold that website. I sold the name. I didn't sell the website. I have it until the end of the year contract that I have with the domain. And then oh. it, it reverts over to the people that I sold it to. And they are not in any type of way into mysticism, occultism, esoteric, Christianity, nothing. They are... Oh. Um, they're a gambling group, and they want the name for their gambling uh-huh. boat. <laughs> so, and, and so I said, okay, so what I've done is I just went ahead and set up a website called floorelmore.com. So my clients can still reach me there and stuff. And then um, I am working with a whole group of other people. We're establishing a website for all the people that are getting kicked off of Etsy um, so that they can... Uh-huh have their stores and their shops, but I'm also setting up a podcast because there's so many really incredible people out there that are doing good work that nobody knows anything about. And um, I'm going in and interviewing them and giving them a page with their picture and the, the podcast, basically, so you can instantly listen to it with all of their contact information back to their website. So it's like a listing, but not at the same time. And... um there's a forum that's going to be on that website for people to go in and post questions. And then there's monthly practice sessions where people that are doing magical work or practice, practicing different things can get together in groups and they can practice like all money magic for a month and they can brainstorm together with each other and share their stories in a non-territorial kind of way. So that's Magic Mojo and Miracles, and I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that it all get online by July 15th to the 20th. I'm transferring Ooh. all the data from the Good Luck Lady over to that. And so that's been a major effort because I want the Good Luck Lady down by the end of July so those guys can just have it and be done with it. That sounds like a great new project. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I wish you luck with that. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I have a slight concern, though. I don't know why I have any business saying this out loud. I just can't stop myself often. Um, I know that you, I can tell that you're an amazing judge of character, but please be prepared for the frauds that are going to come forward and they're going to want to use your forum for a place to give themselves validity. I'm really not into that. You know, I'm not into folks like that. And so I'm the gatekeeper, and there's four other people that are gatekeepers. We'll have a really nice Mm -hmm. code of ethics that protects the people who are posted as well as the people participating. So everyone has to agree the same set of ethics, and you screw up once and you're off. I love it. (laughs) I have a line with that kind of stuff. I really do. And, you know, I don't even, I'm at this point, I'm like, you don't even get to burn me once. 
<laughs> before I lose it. <laughs> you smell smoke, you're out. <laughs> yep. Once. So because the the internet community is so huge and we have such an interesting, beautiful group of people and I realize we're all in the middle of growing pains as well because I see things on the net and I see things in social media and I'm like, why are we going there? We, why are we driving the car in that direction? Get We're off course, y'all. Um, we've got to really work on our credibility and work on our trust in the community with each other as well as other things. So hopefully, you know, holding that space will let some people do that. And if they want to go in and stomp all over trust and they want to stomp all over um, credibility and and use that to legitimize their crap, I'll cut the head off the snake instantly. I was just talking about snakes last night, biting the heads off of them. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that term. Yep. That sounds cool. Okay. Um, um, do you guys have another have question? A, oh, Mark's got something. Go, baby. No, I do. I do have another question for you, uh, Flora. So, um, what are your uh, specialties, or what is your favorite kind of work? I mean, from my, my understanding, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. You go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, from my understanding, uh, you do a lot of healing work. And so I just wanted to know, like, personally for you, what's your favorite kind of conjure work and or what work do you find most rewarding, like, personally to you? Honestly, my go-to work work is crossroads work because it allows me to take everything I've learned and apply it at the crossroads. And, um, you know, I do have, have a gorgeous altar that I work with Mary at, but on that altar space, is a Mesa Crossroads. It's a, a small replica of what the astral plane Crossroads looks like for me, and I work it. And she's she walks with me. When I walk down to the Crossroads, I'm not walking by myself. And I'm very clear that there's a lot of energy that moves through that Crossroads and a lot of entities that walk through there. But I've got her by my side, and I'm I'm not worried about anything. And the crossroads is nothing like, you know, you get this description of and some of the crap that's on the Internet by organizations that think that they have the whole story drive me crazy until you've actually sat down and you've worked a crossroads and you've worked the energy of that space. There's a lot of wild energy that's there. It is a, a launching point for deep desire, and it's a map. And so... In the, all of that work that I did learning to do healing work for people and learning to do magical work, um, I would every time I really needed to anchor that work into happening, I would take it down to the crossroads. I'd pick which direction most applied to that work I was doing, and I would either keep a keeping jar there or a blessing jar. I hang ribbons different places. I do not spell work on the crossroads. Um I will pick up dirt from the crossroads, and I'm a big-time dirt worker. I love working dirt. Um, You name it. I've just really been an all-around worker, and I don't like getting pigeonholed into a specialty of just luck work because I do do love work, but if I get overwhelmed with a number of people needing love work done, I'll put a stop on it and say, okay, hold on, you guys. Let me catch up. Um, I do a lot of work in the cemetery because I work with 
a lot of people who haven't crossed over and they're stuck. I go in and do clearings for people in their home. So to say that I have a specialty, I think that it would, I don't know, I don't think it would give credit to all the work that I do as a whole. I really work hard to make sure that all of the work I do is first started, it's based in healing. So you're right that I do come from it in that place. But that's, I was trained as a healer first. But I make jack poles for people. I make mojo hands for people. I make prayer bags for people. I make medicine bags. Um, and then I do ceremonial work. I do a lot of fiery wall of protection work for people. And I do a lot of court case work because I have a lot of crazy idiots that get DUIs around here. So, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of, of, it just depends on who, what the person needs when they come and they show up at my door. And I have, a, I'm where I live, the front door is open. People just come in and sit down and we get out our cookies and tea and have a conversation about what they need. But then I also sell product online. And when I run out, I just take it off of line. I don't have it anymore because I haven't made it again. And I try to work around timing issues, like astral timing issues whenever I make things. But all my stuff is pretty much custom made to my client's need. I try not to do a lot of pre-made things. Hey, Does that Laura. answer your question, Mark? Laura, uh, King asked a question. He asked, how do you use or work with uh, the rosary in your work. How do I work the rosary in my work? Yeah. Okay. I have I do this for free. Uh, people who want a rosary set on their behalf mm-hmm. for a job or something like that, all they have to do is just send me an email or send me a request, and I will go ahead and I'll do seven days of rosary and dedicate that energy, and I'll ask Mary to please intercede on their behalf. And if she, if that's what she, she deems is necessary. And then, um, but I also will take rosary work. And I, like if I have a person who is really uh, in, their, in the middle of their grief over a death, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the woman that I wrote about in the paper, her family yeah. went through a lot of yeah. grieving right now. And so I dedicated 30 days of rosary work to relieve their grief. And um, I will make rosaries for people that are going in for cancer treatment or surgery, and I imbue that rosary with the intention of healing. And I anoint it with the oils, um, with a Marian oil that I make that has spike nerd in it and it has um, uh, live forever and some different things, uh, yerba santa and yerba mate in it. I have all of those herbs in it. It smells wonderful. And so they can take that oil and they can also anoint themselves. And I try really hard, like if it's someone who's going through chemo, I might not give them an oil to use because sometimes the oil's an irritant on their skin. And instead I'll make them a powder. So they can put it in, you know, in their shoes or they can blow it and walk into the the blowback of that powder. And yeah. so I do a lot of that type of work with the rosary. And then... Um, I use and then I say the rosary and reflect on how it enhances my conjure work. I've used it as a lesson for myself, but I've used a rosary as a tool as well. So I've used it in justice work. I went into court and I watched this judge humiliating people and I pulled out my rosary and I held it 
and I just drew on the power that was already stored in it, and then I shot and looked to that judge that it befuddled her. She could just stop talking, and she couldn't think about where she was going, and it ended up screwing up the decision in the case, and they had to put an extension on it so that I could get busy and do court work for the the defendant. So <laughs> I have drawn on the energy of my rosary to do that before because the woman was being very unjust to the man that was there. So, yeah. um, the, you know, it's a tool. Just like I think, you know, I see people who are magical practitioners and they have a wand or then they have a staff or something like that and they use that to draw and to move energy. A rosary is a very similar tool. Right. Beautiful. Well, thank you for answering that, Katie. Uh, Katie, mm-hmm. I think we only have like two minutes left. Oh, gosh. Two yeah. minutes? Oh, uh, my God. Hour and I a have half a really has just flew by. I have okay, a really important well, question, con- Laura. It'll continue, Kathy. Just the folks in the chat room might not be able to hear it, but go ahead. Go ahead and ask. Should we have Mark pray us out first and then I'll ask her or should I ask her? No, go ahead and ask her and then Mark can pray us out when we're finished. Okay. Flora, I am so curious with all the research that you've done and all the studying going around, did you ever see somebody doing something um, magically and say, I will never do that until you decided that you were ready to do that or until you had the need to do that? Oh, yeah. I watched a woman take cancer out of a man's body and put it in a dog and kill a dog. <gasps> Dear God in heaven. And when oh, I studied with her, for me to finish studying with her, she told me that I would have to do the same. And I refused and refused and refused for five years. And then one day a woman came to me and she was so deathly ill and there was no doctor that would heal her. I pulled all of the energy that was negative out of her and I stuck it into a bird and I watched the bird die. Oh, bless your heart. So it was the, one of the hardest decisions of my life and I wept over it. But the I'm woman sure. was a, a single mom and if she had died, her kids would have been put into a system in Mexico that they would have been become they would have become M13 gang members. I'm not I'm in no doubt of. So mm-hmm. I had to decide what the greater good was. Mhm. Did the bird go quickly? No. I. It was hard. I'm telling you, I wept. It was very hard to watch, and I held that bird, and I did not leave it until it passed. Amazing. Thanks for sharing so that. that. Hopefully that answers your question. But oh, that is like <laughs> that is my absolute extreme line. I I don't believe in breaking people apart because someone's pissed off at someone else. Mm-hmm. I think they okay. need to work it out. I do have a line that I draw, but in that instance I had to pick a greater good. Right. And I applaud that decision and I thank you for doing that. Yep. On that note, (laughs) are we ready? ready. Great show. Thank you so much. Thank you you so very much.
Heavenly God, we thank you for allowing us to come together to give you praise and worship, Holy Father, and to share in a spirit of knowledge and wisdom and understanding, Holy Father. We petition you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost to guide us, to protect us, and lead us wherever we go, Holy Father. We ask that you preserve us, that you preserve our lives, our body, our souls, and our spirits. We pray this in the name of the most holy and powerful Trinity. Amen. 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 Thank you all for having me. Oh, yes. For, I love it. Well, then I have to get you back here. Thank it looks you. like this hour and a half was not enough. Y'all be leg off. <laughs> See y'all. Have next a great time. night. All right. Good night. Good night. And then you burn.